Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Argentina, Brazil, Japan, the United Kingdom, Germany, the United States, and a see you in hell that's a celebrated dead fascist from the United States. Starting with Argentina, there is an ongoing, continuing investigation on the attempt to assassinate Argentina's vice president and former president, uh, Cristina Fernández de Kirchner. This is because of increasing mounting evidence of the involvement of extreme right-wing groups in this assassination. Now, we already knew that her attempted assassin had some fascist-type symbols tattooed on his body. Specifically, he had a black sun symbol tattooed on his body, uh, which is one of those pagan symbols that the uh, neo-Nazi movement has appropriated for their own use. Specifically, now there's a group called Revolución Federal, uh, Federal Revolution, uh, that apparently has some type of involvement with the would-be assassin. The state has said that they're not going to do this investigation, but the party that Kirshner belongs to, and specifically her allies within that party, are demanding that investigation. So uh, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll have to see what that investigation brings up if it happens. In Brazil, we are moving along in the direction toward a major presidential election. Uh, this election will be happening at the end of the month, October 30th. It is between Bolsonaro and Lula. Uh, Bolsonaro, the current president, uh, has been saying the standard stuff that he's been saying for quite some time regarding this election, that it's going to be stolen, all those sorts of things. Uh, he is currently not polling particularly well. Lula, his opponent and a former president of Brazil, is currently polling at about 49%, whereas Bolsonaro is currently polling somewhere between 44 and 45, uh, with the remainder of the votes with being people who are going to say that they're going to like spoil their ballot or who, that they don't know who they're going to vote for. This means that Bolsonaro really will lose if this election does go through. Again, this means that there is a right-wing president who has a large armed group of supporters who has a ticking clock for his support. There is also a recent scandal that Bolsonaro has been involved in, uh, which is that on a podcast, he implied that he had an orgasm around a group of 14 to 15-year-old Venezuelan women uh, who he, in his story, implied were sex workers. Specifically, he used a slang from Rio de Janeiro, which is the province and city of Brazil that he is from, uh, which refers to having a, uh, a male orgasm. Uh, and he said that he did this around these young Venezuelan women. Uh, this is something that is arguably a criminal offense in Brazil, specifically referring to child prostitution or child sex trafficking or pedophilia in general. Uh, so it's possible that he might actually face legal consequences for this outburst. In Japan, the government is moving to investigate the Moonies, uh, that is the Unification Church, uh, founded by a man named Reverend Moon, that's why they're called the Moonies, uh, specifically over the relationship between this church and the ruling Liberal Democratic Party, which is the conservative party in Japan. This is about the connection between several members of the Japanese parliament and the Unification Church, uh, which is an extremely conservative force in East Asia and also in the United States. Uh, the Unification Church is opposed to uh, all sorts of social democratic norms, uh, specifically when we're talking about um, sort of like, quote unquote, socially liberal policies like abortion, divorce, homosexuality, things like that. 
The Unification Church is also implicated in the assassination of Abe Shinzo, the former prime minister of Japan, by a disgruntled man whose family was deeply involved in the Unification Church, and he was trying to raise awareness about the connection between the Liberal Democratic Party and the Unification Church, and it seems like he succeeded. In the United Kingdom, we are witnessing the ongoing collapse of the Liz Truss government. Uh, this is just like less than two months after she became the prime minister. Currently, if she loses her prime ministership in the next couple of weeks, she will be the shortest serving prime minister in UK history. And most of that time, the country was essentially halted uh, and the spotlight was not on her because of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, there is even a chance, based on how polling is going, that if Liz Truss is ousted soon, that Boris Johnson might come back as the leader of the Conservative Party and as, therefore, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. This week, there was a disruption of a terrorist cell in Germany. Specifically, these were monarchist terrorists. Uh, that is, they supported the return of the Kaiser, the emperor of Germany, and the reimposition of the monarchy in the German system. Now, Germany has not been a monarchy since, you know, uh, right after World War I. Uh, this is a pretty fringe belief, pretty fringe movement here. Uh, however, they were prepared to use violence and they were stopped by the German police and intelligence forces. Interestingly, uh, this group was led by an elderly woman. Uh, so in the German press, uh, she has been called granny terrorist. Moving on to the United States, a member of the Chicago Police Department will be staying in his position as a police officer, despite his membership with the Proud Boys. The police officer, Robert Backer, B-A-K-K-E-R, has been shown on social media and just like in various internet photos to be wearing Proud Boy attire. Uh, so it's just like known. He, he's in the Proud Boys. Uh, this, the fact that he is not going to be taken out of the CPD, is an indicator, and it should be a reminder to you, that the police love fascists and that a lot of cops just are fascists and kind of don't want to really do anything about other cops being fascists. They, they, you know, they, they just think that that's good or normal. And unfortunately, they're right. It's very normal for cops to be fascists and for cops to collaborate with fascism. In media news in the United States, Kanye West is planning to buy Parler, uh, which is a conservative sort of like Twitter alternative type thing, uh, like Gab or Truth Social, you know, a lot of these like uh, post you got banned from Twitter or YouTube or whatever type uh, platforms for right wing people to use. So Kanye West is saying he's going to buy it. And also relevant to this is that apparently Elon Musk's plan to purchase Twitter is actually going to be going forward. This means that these two people have an intention of replatforming conservative and right wing figures, including, for example, Donald Trump returning to Twitter. Speaking of Kanye West, it's important to note that the musician and entrepreneur has recently been going off on a lot of anti-Semitic rants. This is unfortunately not a particularly unusual thing for a public figure in the United States to be doing, especially a public figure who is as interested in Trumpism as Kanye West has often shown himself to be. His anti-Semitism seems to be a pretty classic kind. You know, he claims that Jewish people secretly control things, that they are part of a media cabal, you know, that sort of thing. 
This is not a particularly unusual perspective on the right wing in the United States, and it is emblematic of a growing acceptance and mainstreaming of anti-Semitism in the United States and in the Western world in general. Speaking of the mainstreaming of right wing politics in the United States, uh, let's talk about Steve Bannon, arguably the person who is the most responsible for Donald Trump's victory in 2016, aside from, you know, Donald Trump himself. Now, remember that in the last couple months, Steve Bannon was subpoenaed by the January 6th uh, special committee in the United States House of Representatives, and he refused. He said he wasn't going to talk to them. Now, the Department of Justice is recommending that he face six months in jail and an up to $200,000 fine for refusing the subpoena. This sentencing will be decided on Friday the 21st. Uh, that's tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast on the date that it was released, Friday the 21st, October 2022. This is an important serious deal for Bannon, you know, because like he could go to jail uh, if he if he loses this case, you know, if he's sentenced. Uh, it is also an important serious deal for Trump because of the other big thing that happened on the right wing in the United States is that Donald Trump himself has also been subpoenaed by the January 6th Special Investigation Committee. This was their last act in their last planned televised uh, hearing. Uh, they sort of dropped this one pretty late. Uh, and there's a little bit of a debate about whether this was the right strategic move for them. You know, did they delay this for way too long? Did they leave important evidence out in order to try to get this on air? Um, how will the United States react to this? How will the former president react to this? Now, in the environment in which Steve Bannon has, you know, been uh, sentenced uh, and is going to go to jail for refusing the subpoena, this is important information for Donald Trump, right? It means that Congress is being very serious about this sort of thing. It means that the Department of Justice is being very serious about it. It means that he'll have a little bit less wiggle room when it comes to trying to get his way out of this subpoena. Now, Trump's response to the subpoena from the special committee in the House was an extremely unhinged 14-page letter, uh, although most of the pages of that were like weird appendices and pictures and stuff. I mean, like literally, not not like hand-drawn pictures, uh, although it's kind of weird that I had to specify that to you, right? Um, I mean, like images of political rallies and things like that. The letter itself, the body of it, is um, honestly, it's one of the most unhinged written documents that I've read in quite a while. It is written essentially like a tweet or like a like a Facebook post. Um, there's all sorts of like weird Republican dog whistles, you know, like calling it the unselect committee, right? You know, like saying that they suck, I guess, uh, arguing that the committee isn't legitimate because not enough Republicans are on it. That, of course, is because Republicans refuse to be on the committee, except for those who are, you know, ride or die, never Trumpers. In any case, Donald Trump is going back and forth about whether or not he's going to respect the subpoena and talk to the special committee. He is saying, A, you know, in this response, he's saying, like, the subpoena is ridiculous. I don't have to deal with it. I am the former president. I didn't do anything wrong. But he's also saying that he will do it, like he will talk to the special committee if they televise his uh, testimony live. Now, exactly why he thinks that this would be a good idea for him that's a little confusing, right? In some ways, the man's a narcissist and he wants cameras back on him. You know, that's that's one of the things that he wanted and liked about the presidency. Uh, it's one of the things that he hates about the fact that he has been denied his big public-facing image 
in Twitter and on other social media platforms. However, it's also unclear whether or not this would actually like help him not go to jail because uh, being grilled by a bunch of people about legal minutia that might trip him up, uh, that's not exactly the former president's strong suit, right? Then again, as a presentation to his supporters, you know, him like facing a group of, you know, almost a dozen other politicians who are quote unquote uh, prosecuting, or he would probably say persecuting him, right? That might be exactly what Donald Trump wants. That might be exactly the framing that he is looking for, that it will seem to the American people and especially his supporters that he is being singled out and that he is being unfairly treated based upon his behavior. Now, of course, uh, if you have been paying attention, you will know that the way that Donald Trump is being treated is uh, more than fair, right? It, it It's ridiculous that this person has yet to face any consequences regarding his attempted coup against the government, other than the fact that he isn't president anymore, which, you know, that wasn't a consequence of his attempting a coup. That was because he lost an election. Anyway, it remains to be seen whether or not this will pan out for Trump or for the special committee, and therefore, you know, whether it will pan out for anybody who doesn't want the United States to stop being, you know, at least as good of a representative democracy as it is. Finally, going to close out this episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Charles Andrew Willoughby, a.k.a. Adolf Charles Weidenbach. Now, Willoughby, which, which is how I'll be referring to him because that was the name he was known as for most of his life, Willoughby's birth is a confusing one. He is definitely from Germany. Uh, however, the location and time and uh, name under which he was born, that is all a little bit murky. The important and noted thing, the things that we know, uh, are that he immigrated to the United States in 1910 along with his family. They definitely immigrated from Germany, and he was a linguistics expert for his entire life, speaking multiple languages, most importantly, German, English, and eventually Japanese. He joined the United States Army in 1910. He left it with an honorable discharge in 1914. You know, that's just like the normal retiring out of the army way to leave. He joined again when the United States entered World War I. He served under the United States Army in World War I in the expeditionary force that invaded German and Austrian lands. After World War I, he remained in the military and that remained his career for the rest of his life. Specifically, he became a military intelligence operative. And he worked for the United States in Puerto Rico and Ecuador, uh, and also in Spain. He was well-liked among the early fascists, specifically Franco and Mussolini, uh, as an international military expert and as somebody who was an ardent, die-hard anti-communist. That is why I'm featuring him on this podcast. He was well-liked by the Italian fascist party and the Spanish Falange, uh, and this was the basis of his politics. During World War II, he remained an important fixture in the United States' military intelligence system. After World War II, he was stationed in Japan as an occupier, specifically uh, regarding Japanese surveillance and censorship against those who were opposed to the United States' occupation. He remained important to the United States' intelligence operation in Asia after the war. Specifically, he served with General MacArthur, who was the Supreme Allied Commander in the Korean War. Uh, he is also known to have distorted intelligence based upon the interests of the United States in that war. 
He retired from the United States Army in 1951 and moved to Spain, where he was a direct advisor to Francisco Franco, something that a lot of right-wing and fascist military people just like did a lot in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. He had always admired Franco and loved that he got an opportunity to work with him. He spent the rest of his life, indeed, working with fascist and extreme right-wing thinkers in the United States and Spain, trying to push right-wing and anti-communist agendas. He died this week in history, the 25th of October, 1972, and is honored by the United States intelligence community for his service and is honored by international fascists for his just, you know, sort of like everyday, brick by brick, anti-communism, and that is uh, his fascism. So, Charles Andrew Willoughby, we will see you in hell. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on, and I mean it sincerely. Share it with somebody if you like this podcast. That's the only way people know about it, and uh, I do it because I hope that people will find it useful. If you really found the podcast useful, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word and spelled out. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and on fascism 15 on Twitter. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.